Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. With 18 years of experience in business strategy and corporate consulting on the global stage, my guest on this episode, Mark Baltazar, brings a wealth of business management and operational expertise to real estate investing. He is the winner of the Real Estate Investment Network's Top Player Award in 2017, and Mark continues to build momentum in growing his real estate portfolio. His uh, strong analytical background drives him to bring a strategic rigor to portfolio expansion and the assessment of investment opportunities. In 2015, Mark founded Peak Property Investments, a boutique firm helping passive investors generate returns through real estate, hands-free of course. And in 2019, he co-founded Peak Multifamily Investments as an extension to bring far greater focus to acquiring and managing apartment building investments. Mark currently holds both multi and single family residential properties. And over the past couple of years, he's leveraged Ontario's market by renovating and flipping a number of properties. Mark oversees capital raising, partner relations, educational content development while ensuring his company delivers on its promise of helping others build generational wealth through investing in the multifamily space. In addition to helping others build their real estate portfolio when he's not working, Mark's family life fuels his why. He is a husband, a father of three very active young boys. Listen in on my conversation today with Mark Baltazar. Mark Baltazar, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. Thanks for joining me. We're locked down right now, so thanks for being here. Yeah, no, appreciate it. And I mean, uh, 
fortunate and, and really honored to be kind of part of the show and you had some really amazing guests. So I'm glad that, uh, glad that we're going to have a chance to, to speak. Yeah, for sure. Now I do the introductions, but they're never, they, they never really do justice to my guests. So I always begin the podcast with the question of what do you do? What do you got going on? What is Mark all about these days? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Two, I operate two strategies. So from a real estate investment side, so I'll back up a little bit. So from a real estate investment side, so I'm a full-time real estate investor now um, as of kind of recently. So I had, uh, I still own part of a, a marketing research company based out of Toronto. Uh, over the last couple of years, it's kind of been a transition plan. Uh, and something that actually you and I spoke about many, many years ago. I don't know if you remember in terms of just, you know, what, where, where's my life going and what do I, how do I need to structure what I'm doing to be be happier and just kind of, you know, uh, not let the business kind of run my life. And so it's really about, you know, design your life, then design your business around it. So I was kind of, so I've, I've been on a path of exiting kind of that company. And so just recently over the last couple of weeks, that's, that's pretty much almost finalized. So it's nice. like one chapter that's, uh, uh, we had a lot of great kind of times there, met a lot of great people. It's kind of, like, you know, built my capabilities today. Uh, and so now I'm full-time in real estate mm-hmm. and uh, operate two strategies, mainly kind of a short-term and a long-term strategy, uh, short-term being uh, fix and flips, mm-hmm. uh, which is really, which is really what I started with about five and a half or so years ago. Yeah. Um, along the way, kept, you know, kept some, some buying holds. Uh, and then most recently, I guess, as of two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, kind of shifted into apartment buildings. And um, really focused now on kind of building that portfolio up with with partners. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, you're you're actually you're doing what a lot of uh, you know a lot of Rain members you know talk about doing. Now, how long have you been part of the community, the Rain community? I believe it's 2016 is when I joined. And so you came out of was it a job that you had before, or was it another business that you owned? Uh, was that kind of, which was it? Uh, so combination of both. So I started, I started with this really small company of, you know, I was the third person, I guess, uh, oh, in 2005, uh, and then eventually bought into the company. So own, own part of it. So own, still own part of it. And we grew that to 30. So it was a, it was a job. I mean, it was really, you know, it was, I was there kind of full time, you know, you know, nine to nine or eight to eight, you know, it was, it was a consulting company and so worked with some cool clients you know across Canada around the world and uh, so it, it occupied a lot of a lot of my time traveled a lot um, and so so it was a, it was a job plus you know owning the company mm-hmm. um, it's kind of two hats really and um, and so that's that kind of moved on from that no so I mean you're you're actually you've you're working on or you've achieved the result of what a lot of people in the community, many aspire to have, which is being in the world called full-time real estate investor. I mean, lots don't because they got great careers, they got great businesses, but there is definitely a number of people within the community that always say, gosh, I want to, I'd love to be able to get out of my job and be a full-time real estate investor. So this is a, you know, for me is like a great conversation for people to listen to because you're, you're there, you're, 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 it's not perfect, got all that, but it's, you know, it's something that you transitioned from being a solopreneur 
buying yourself a job is what it sounds like. And we can talk a little bit about that if you like, but really transitioning into the full-time real estate world. When did it kind of occur to you that, you know, what you were doing in the past, uh, I don't know how much you want to share or not share. It doesn't really matter. But um, when did it occur to you that I want to, you know, I don't want to do this. I want to do that. And what was kind of the catalyst for that change? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. I mean, the the work was great. You know, the work was very challenging, uh, intellectually stimulating. You know, got to work with some very very smart people with some uh, very well 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 known companies and brands. Uh, I think when you know, it's it's it was when when my kids started asking, and they asked, you know, whatever since they could speak. When they started asking, you know, Dad, you're going to be home for dinner, mm. um, and a lot of times it was uh, no, not today, and that happened a lot. And, and so it started to kind of really, you know, dig in kind of in terms of, and emotionally in terms of that and being able, you know, being saying no, um, a lot. And then at, at that point it was like, I have to, I have to make a change. Right. And I think as, as a partner in a firm like that, it, it's hard, at least my perspective it was hard to step away, um, at least that soon. And so I knew at that point, and this was probably, this was probably, you know, four years ago or so that a change had would have, have to has to happen one and uh, three boys three young boys seven seven nine eleven and uh and in fact my my second son when he was born i wasn't even here i missed it i was traveling mm. um now he came a little bit earlier um right so the plan was for me to be here but i but i missed it right and it's like holy smokes like that's you know that's pretty crazy um, you know, when my first son was born kind of the day after I was, you know, on the laptop doing, doing some client work. So I think an accumulation of just being tugged a lot, I, I felt that I had to, I had to start something else, something else on, uh, more so my own, my own terms, um, versus, you know, a collaboration with, I would say with other people, but I'm collaborating with other people now, but I think I, I've, I've designed it. I've designed it for the way I'd like to live. And so it's a, kind of a fresh start, really. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at, and, and so where did real estate start to show up for you? And, and how did the world of real estate come to be something that you said, no, this is way more in line with what I want to do? So real estate had been a topic of conversation for my wife and I probably five, five years prior to that, you know, Hey, we're, you know, we'll get into rentals. Well, you know, let's get a prop. My, my parents had a rental, a duplex. So my grandfather rented, you know, part of his home in Toronto. Um, so the concept kind of existed in my mind. And so I kind of knew a little bit about it and also knew people that, you know, had, you know, uh, portfolios. Um, so it was a, it was a topic of conversation for five years, but we didn't really act on it. Uh, and then in 2000, I guess early 15 or perhaps 14, late 14, I I went to a course like a, one of these weekend courses. You know, a company out of the U.S. You know, being on a couple of different you know strategies, and uh, you know it's like 200 bucks or something. And at that point, it was like, okay, you know what? I there, uh, I can activate one of these strategies. That kind of weekend program highlighted kind of what I what I knew about real estate and a lot of what I didn't know about real estate and kind of set me on the path of, okay, I have to really, you know, figure, figure something out. So it was always, I think real estate had always been in the back of our minds, but never took, like didn't take action for five years. And then I think just the combination of the stresses of the other business and my family, you know, young family growing and, you know, feeling of running out of time 
I think was the big one, the feeling of running out of time was, was the catalyst to thinking, okay, you know, this, this is probably uh, an avenue that one could help us financially, uh, but also allow uh, the flexibility to, you know, be part of a young family and grow a young family. You know, it's um, it's interesting. You know, JG, uh, Jean-Guy and I often will do a segment called Missing Millions, and it's those uh, realizations and those epiphanies that we've had personally primarily. And, and sometimes we're sharing stories, but, you know, the one of, uh, you know, yeah, it, it occurred to me, and then, you know, I didn't get off my ass, and I was like a little bit too afraid. And so, you know, five years later, I got into real estate. Now, if the universe orchestrates it to be all perfect timing, and if that's your belief, it's easy to get. And, I, and I'm not saying it, I, I'm very much aligned with that thought process. But having said that, when we look at five years and you go, holy crap, why didn't I start then? You know, whatever story, the fear, whatever, ah, damn it. You know, how much money did you leave on the table, right? And uh, I don't need to rub that salt in the wound, but it's it's like you do yeah, realize no, that, right? Absolutely. And, I, and I, we still talk about it to this day. You know, imagine we start and 30, you know, so I'm, you know, 41. That was when I was 30, 31. A friend of mine, he was, you know, 24, 20. So when we were 24, 25 or so, five years before that, he started building a portfolio and kind of, you know, okay, that's interesting. Maybe someday, but it was really, yeah. So, yeah. So for five years, you know, it was like just procrastination, procrastinate, you know, someday, someday. And I think, I think if I can recall, you know, hey, we're young enough to start next year and then next year. And then you realize it's like, holy shit, it's, uh, man, <laughs> time goes by really quick. And, you know, the best time to buy real estate is, you know, 20 years ago, 50 years ago second best is now. And so that's, that, that was kind of the realization. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of have to hang on to that one. I was very similar, by the way. I, uh, it was about three or four years for me before I, you know, before from when I first investigated and got totally thrown off the path and then had to circle back. And so it's just interesting uh, how life kind of throws us curveballs and takes us off. So mm-hmm. now let's talk a little bit about what you're doing right now, because, you know, you're you're into two different worlds that really make sense to me as you were talking about it, because you're in you're doing multifamily stuff and you're doing fix and flips. I mean, uh, it's not that you're not, you can't monetize a multifamily world of portfolio and, and building it. Um, but certainly what I hear in that is you've got a kind of a long-term buy and hold strategy, uh, future income, you know, building up that equity base. And then you've got a, a churn called fix and flips, which is a active income kind of strategy. And this is an interesting part of a conversation, but because as a coach, you know, this many years later, what what I see time and time again is people get stuck in the myth because they've gone to some meetup that says, you know, cash flow 500 bucks a month and buy three of those and you're 1500 bucks a month. And you can, you know, you can start to supplement your income from that. And of course, as experienced real estate investors, we know that it's just such a myth and it's such bullshit. It pisses me off. So there's a difference between a buy and hold strategy, which is uh, you know, sounds a little bit, and I'm, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Can you tell me a little bit about the multifamily uh, model that you're working with? And then, but the active income, which is a fix and flip world. So tell me a little bit about what your learning or realizations have been in that conversation and, and a little bit about what you're doing, Mark, to uh, kind of have that active income as well as, uh, you know, what you're doing in the in the multifamily space. Yeah, I'd love to get back to the cash flow conversation because that's one of the that's so uh, yeah that that one is and, and I, I share the same frustrations because on the apartment building side we're raising capital 
from joint venture partners to buy these buildings. And so a lot of it, you know, it's people that understand the, the concept of, you know, research or research, sorry, uh, still my own kind of old business uh, mindset, yeah, yeah. Uh, real estate, real estate building wealth. Uh, but the first thing, you know, people ask, uh, you know, people that are kind of starting to get is, is does it cash flow? Will it cash flow? I'd like to have some cash flow. And I'm thinking, okay, cool, great, great question. Should cash flow? So should cash flow to at least sustain itself? But there is this myth that cash flow is going to retire you from your job. You need a lot of properties for cash flow to retire <laughs> you from your job, right? Like you need a, a whack load, right? <laughs> a lot. And so then, then you ask the question, well, why why do you need cash flow? Um, and a lot of what I found, a lot of times, it's 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 actually not about the income um, because mathematically it's not going to work, right? Unless you have in a massive massive portfolio, which you can get there. But a lot of times it's when they're hearing, you know, whether it's social or wherever they're hearing it from, you know, uh, cash flow is going to retire you, right? Which it can, but again, that's that's not tomorrow. That's future state. Many, yeah. Future state. Um, but the other thing that I found too, and it, maybe this is kind of just a human behavior insight, is cash flow for people kind of just is a reminder that the property is doing something that's kind of living and breathing. It's kind of the, it's the pulse, mm. right? And without it, it's kind of dead, right? So. So I think cash flow is important, but I think there is there's at least when I spend time with people, there's a little bit of educating in terms of and, and coaching, perhaps that you know cash flow is important. But you know what's your end objective? Like if your end objective is to finance you know your lifestyle today in the next twelve to twenty four months, apartment buildings are probably not going to do that, right? Like that, this is you know generational wealth, retirement. This is bigger, and, and you'll get wealthy through it over time, but if that's not what that is today, uh, for me, that's, that's where the fix and flip comes in. Right. And so, you know, I spend time, uh, actively, you know, finding, you know, undervalued, uh, poorly run properties or, you know, uh, motivated sellers to sell their properties and then, you know, fluff, you know, fix and flip them. So I've done, I've been doing, that's what I started with. I didn't really have, I didn't really think I was going to get into apartment buildings at, at some point. It just kind of got there eventually after just understanding the strategy a little bit more and what it could do for the long term and realized very quickly that fix and flips is not, uh, I, think it's, I think it's a sustainable business. Um, but it's, um, I mean, just obviously as we're seeing right now, there's a lot of risks uh, associated with it. So great, great returns in the short term, very high risk. And then for me, the other balance is, you know, low returns in the short term, but long term stability apartment buildings. I, and I think about it as the, as many have before, uh, the recession proof, you know, asset class, right? So kind of a, it's a good, for me, it's a good balance. So, you know, let's, I want to clean something up because there's, you know, I've, I love what you said, Mark, in terms of cash flow in a buy and hold situation is really it's a reminder that you've got this living, breathing kind of thing that's happening. And because not everybody that's on, you know, not, not all of the listeners of the show are actually active real estate investors, although many are, I'll just take a little bit of a moment to say, you know, cash flow for those of you who are in a long-term buy and hold or thinking about it, cash flow from those properties always goes back into that property as a reserve fund, as future investment. It's like if you live in a condo, you understand a reserve fund study. And because there's pending things that'll happen, roofs, uh, appliances, furnaces, whatever it might be, that there's a, maintain a maintenance that has to go on. The celebration should actually be that we're generating cash flow 
and I've had this property for X amount of years and I've never had to dip into my pocket to subsidize it because the cash that it's generating covers all the inevitabilities and and even has some room for the uh, occasional blow up because a tenant goes south or whatever the story might be. So I think that's an important point. And, and both of us being in the industry, I think our frustration lives in the fact that the social media talking heads, the so-called experts, um, have a tendency to overstate the reality of what a cash flowing property is and what it can do and what the intention of that cash flow is. The intention of the cash flow is to maintain that property till such a time that it's paid down, paid off, that becomes future income, full stop. Simplified, and that's simplified. Now, you, on the other hand, have looked at fix and flip. So you're buying, you know, real estate for motivated vendors, rundown properties, whatever that might be. You're you're looking at different strategies where you get to go in, add value, refinance, and or flip, sell, right? Sell to yourself, sell to others. That's kind of your strategy. Now, there's a spread in there. You know, ten grand, twenty grand, fifty grand, whatever the home run might be for you. But ultimately, you're generating active income there. You're paying taxes on that active income. That's putting food on your table, buying your kids hockey and all the things that kids like to do. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit, though, in the world of multifamily, because you hadn't played the game too long before you started to dig in and look at multifamily. So (laughs) it's always such a popular conversation, Mark. So it's a it's a. For many investors, even two, three, five years in, they're going, like, multifamily scares the shit out of me. I, it's too big. It's too overwhelming. How did you take it on? What was it that was the catalyst for you to take on multifamily and really dig into it, go through the learning, the numbers, all the rest of it? Because it is, it's way more work. Big upside in the long run, but often, but ultimately not easy. So tell me a little bit about that transition from what you were doing to the multifamily space? So I think uh, step one for me was in 2017, early 17, uh, was just education. Was So I took a number of uh, programs, you know, uh, I think it was a four day, a four day kind of intensive multifamily. I went to the U.S., uh, went to a multifamily conference in the U.S. to learn about it. Similar concepts, different scale, slightly different market, but the the overall concept of syndication um, kind of holds. So uh, step one, probably for a year was education mm-hmm. uh, or six months, maybe education. Uh, fortunate enough that uh, within, within my network, uh, there are people that had already done it and had built uh, very significant portfolios, you know, hundred million dollar portfolios in apartment buildings. So was able to understand the behind the scenes and kind of what it took to, you know, get deal number one. Um, I, I did sell off some of my duplexes and a fourplex to kind of have the capital ready for it. You know, that one, you know, the first project was raised through with JV money, but I did have some capital in it as well. But let's 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 just stop there for a second. I, I don't want to overstep this because it's an opportunity for people to really look and say, you know, if you're listening to this and you look at multifamily, you know, you did what is necessary, which was, and you happened to have a couple of the properties with some equity built in. So you, you were able mm-hmm. to flip them. You, you, you pulled some cash off the table. Would you agree that the multifamily game, if you're just starting out to really get into that game, you, you've got to be prepared to put skin in the game. Is that a, is that a fair statement? Do you, I, I'm just asking if you believe that to be true. That's, that's my world. That's how I look at it. Um, yeah. there's lots of rules to be broken. 
Yeah, I, I think um, at least for the at least for the first one I yeah. did because again we wrote you know we we raised money for it uh, and and one of the first questions is you know are you putting your own money in into it so it was easier to raise with. Uh, with my own capital into it. So that kind of made it uh, an easy conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, um, also, the ROI is really good. So, yeah. you know, I have more ownership of the asset with my own money into it. Um, we kind of operated JV structure. The first one was like, a, I think it was a 50-50. Um, so just for operating is 50%, but then I, you know, with my own capital, it's a little bit more. So it's, you know, I have a significant kind of proportion of that, of that pie. Um, I think so. I think, I think from a capital raising standpoint, I think it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think it shows that you're committed. And I talked to a lot of people that are looking to get started. You know, there's no, you know, reason why someone can't get into it without, you know, without doing other things first. It could be your first one. It's a lot, there's a lot of risk. So the mistakes are larger. The mistakes are more painful. Probably better that you at least understand how real estate investing works or at least sure. buy and hold works, yeah. you know, tenants and uh, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think my, my belief is, is that anyone can do it. Yeah. Um, the block is kind of up here, right? I mean, there, the resources exist, right? Like within the ring community, lots of people that, you know, have portfolios way bigger than mine. And I, ta- you know, I've tapped into some of the people in the ring community actually to mm-hmm. kind of just, how, how did you do that, et cetera. So, there's people that have done it. It's, uh, I think the strategy, it's not new. It's not rocket science. There's a path that's already been carved. It's just, you know, kind of follow it. But, uh, but I think, yeah, education, you know, working with someone that's maybe done it before, uh, or at least having people that have done it before surround you, I think is really, really important just because the numbers are much bigger. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot more room for error because there's a lot of moving parts, yeah. a lot of things yeah. to get handled and to handle and not overstep because the expense, the, the, the mistakes at that level in those kind of complexities are generally expensive mistakes. They're yes. expensive oversights. And, you know, you miss that one. That's a gap. You miss, you know, that one can hurt. You know, you make a couple of interesting points here. And, and, I, and I got lots more I want to talk to you about, but this is a little bit of a, you know, it's, it, it really is a, a kind of bit of a plug for rain only in that, you know, you talk about the community. So this many years later, what I've come to understand is the how-tos, the strategies, the tactics, people can, they can hang on to that all day long as I need more of this, I need more of that. And and it is so not true. You know, it really, the, there's so much power in a community, in the culture, in the environment that you place yourself in. And, you know, even as you're speaking and you're talking and sharing your story, you know, think about, because you're often at rain meetings and and you're you're using that network, you're tapping into the community, that culture, that environment. How how important rain aside? Because you've you've been parts of other groups and you've done all the things. But how important is that whole concept, community, culture, environment, in terms of really truly uh, gaining momentum and velocity and and having success, as opposed to you know hanging out with people that aren't doing it, aren't of like mind. And trying to do it on your own in a silo, even. I mean, what, what's your experience, and what have you even observed? I guess, I guess there's, uh, I think, a, at least two components to that, perhaps, um, of a of a group like Rain or a networking group, or surrounding yourself with people that are uh, on similar paths. I think the obvious one is you build your team, right? So if you don't have the resources, uh, you know, the professionals that you need, you're, you're probably going to find it in a room like that. Um, so that's, I think you know, at, at the surface level, uh, beneath the surface level, I think is, you know, there's, I think 
uh, emotionally just seeing that other people are going through struggles, right? Cause it's not, they're not all success stories. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one thing. I think that's one thing that you get from uh, live rooms that you don't get a lot from uh, maybe digital or just social media or other things is that you get the, the real stories. Um, so yeah, you know what, I, you know, here, here are the mistakes that I made. Here's kind of where here, don't do this because I did it. And you know, here's where I lost. Uh, so I think you kind of get that from the, from a, from a, let's call it a networking group or a community. I think community is a good word because community means that you're, you're giving and taking, mm-hmm. right. You're, you're sharing stories, you're sharing ideas. And I think people that uh, haven't gone down your path are, are learning from that. So I think it's, it's really important. Um, I mean, there's a lot of times, a number of rain meetings I've gone to over the years where at first it's like, Oh, I don't know if I just want to, you know, especially in the winter right now, I don't want to, want to kind of drive, uh, even though I'm very close to where you have your Toronto meetings about, about 25, 30 minutes away. Uh, and people come from way further. Yeah. Right. But then you get there and you leave. It's like, man, if I didn't go, I wouldn't have met so-and-so I wouldn't have learned that kind of quick little insight. Now I have a boost ready to go. And, you know, I talk my wife's ear off when I get home, right. I have this, you know, a next level of energy. Right. So yeah. I, I think there's the, the, yeah, the surface level, you're going to meet people that are going to help you, but just the, the, the emotional kind of support side yeah. of things, like the intangible, that's an intangible. I think that, uh, it's hard to, it's almost hard to communicate, right. That you kind of get that, the feeling, the emotion that you get from a room like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's, you know, the, the community part of it, it is interesting at, at this time. I mean, we're into COVID, uh, don't know when we're coming out of it for sure. You know, is it going to be in the next 30 days? Is it going to extend 60 days? We're dealing with this reality called an economic meltdown. However, it occurred. It is what it is, and we're having to deal with it. And 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 I want to actually come out of it the other side totally because I know there's going to be opportunities, and that's how we have to take it on as business owners. But what's your view of this? Yeah, uh, so I think early days, uh, so let's say three, four weeks ago, I was reading as much as I could. And, uh, you know, you know, we got to get through this and let's kind of start using the time uh, efficiently uh, to one plan. Um, how are we going to get out of this? How can I how can I protect the assets right now, both both apartment buildings as well as the um, as the uh, the single family homes? I do have three fairly big projects on a on, from the flip side uh, going on right now in kind of the, the heat of this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think. I say, I guess a couple of things, if they're going to shut down the economy, uh, you know, it would have been great if they did it right away, just do it for three weeks to whatever, just kind of get it done. But I think the, this prolonging of it is actually worse. One, I think p- making people very anxious and also just prolonging the, you know, the time that we're going to get kind of back going. Uh, for me, the, the, the apartment building strategy, that doesn't really change much there. In fact, we're, just, we're in the middle of closing something now. Um, mm-hmm. so we have, we have the option of backing out, but we're not going to back out. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's the long-term game for that, for that, you know, asset class and sort of moving full steam ahead with, with the closing of that, which will probably be end of May. And, um, mm-hmm. so that doesn't really change anything on that side. Uh, so I have a lot of questions about that from people, you know, well, why are you still buying apartment buildings? Well, because that's, it's not a 12 month strategy, like in five to seven years or 10 years, you're going to look back and COVID is going to be like a little kind of blip on the line if even that right um i'm sure we won't forget it but it's not going to impact it financially so much i don't think anyways at least in that asset class 
So I'm kind of like, you know, I, I, I try to stay in tune with what's going on, but I try not to get engulfed so much as I did in the beginning. Cause I just found that it was just like doom and gloom. Uh, and I try to kind of stay away from that while staying realistic in terms of what's going on. I just try to kind of keep to my own thing and kind of move ahead. Yeah. And I, and, and I, you know, I was looking, you know, because I've always, I, you know, I'm, I understand probably more than just fundamentally, you know, what the economic research means and how it impacts real estate and business overall, you know, uh, been doing it a long time. So the realization that however this occurred, I mean, you know, there was a, there's guys that I followed over the years, you know, but, but even credible, really credible guys, you know, recently, uh, Brian Rose of London real. I don't know if you follow London real, but it, that's a turn, like they've shut him down. But I mean, this is a totally credible guy that they just shut down. And then, uh, so Brian Rose is a cool cat. Uh, Kiyosaki's always been a controversial dude, but guess what? You know, he's been saying this, this kind of stuff for years, but, yeah. the, but the, the real point of this is, is I go back to that all aside. I don't want to look at it as doom and gloom at all. I mean, it's hard not to get drawn down that, but I do my research saying, okay, this is what's happening. So what's the, what's the fallout going to be? What's the impact going to be? Yes. I had two retail yep. stores in Alberta, had to shut them down. I don't know if that industry is ever coming back. You know, I was in the skating, hockey. That's, I've had those stores for 35 years. I mean, I didn't shut them down because I wanted to. The industry shut down. Hockey's not being played at any level. You got three boys. I don't know if any of them played hockey, but if they did. All three. <laughs> yeah, all three played hockey. You know, you ain't, you're not going yeah. back to playing hockey for yeah. probably a while. And even when they open the ice up, you know, the question becomes, and this is totally off topic, but I know there's lots of people who have kids that play hockey or play hockey themselves. You know, if you're a parent, given coronavirus and the scare, you know, I don't know. What's your, here? Here's, here's a hockey dad. Okay, so let's say we go back uh, September 1st. Yeah. We're good to go. Now, are you going to want your three boys to go in a sweaty locker room with 15 other boys to play hockey? Now, you may say, because you're Mark and you're a guy, you say, yeah, there's a good chance your wife's going to go. Mom's going to go. No, no, no. I don't think so. So what is the answer for you? Just out of curiosity. That's a, that's a tough one. It, we've talked about, we've talked about it in general, mm -hmm. not necessarily in dressing room, but going back to school, you know, mm -hmm. if, if school kind of, you know, opened up, well, the will hope, you know, let's say September, cause I, don't, I can't imagine we're going back anytime before that, or at least the kids are, what's it going to be like. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, weird, it's, eh? it's so as a stats guy. So what I did, I look at, I look at the stats, right? So mm -hmm. what's the mortality rate? Um, by age, right? And so zero to nine, no fatalities recorded yet, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, assuming that this data that I'm looking at is, is right and true and factual, mm -hmm. um, you know, under 30.2%. So, you know, as a stats guy, the odds are very, very, very low, but also don't want to gamble with my kids' lives either. And so that's so, it's hard. It's, it, 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 it really is a tough one. And it really is a tough one. It's an interesting conversation, isn't it? So when I'm looking at the research, I'm only looking at the economic impact. You know, in a, a, the Edmonton Economic Development uh, Office said, you know, as many as, I want to say 40% or over 40% of small businesses in Edmonton will be shut down. That's businesses like mine. That's restaurants. That's, mm -hmm. you know, one, two, four-man operations. I mean, gosh, think of the economic yeah. impact. Where's the municipalities going to get their taxes from? You know, who's paying business tax and who's going to pick up the slack? You know, as, as uh, you know, as as rental housing providers, for example, what does that mean yeah. to us as uh, 
taxes on the properties that we're doing. So that's all to say that, you know, from a, a demand point of view, probably more people will be in fact renting. Now they have to qualify because many of them will have lost jobs. Now what? So it's a really messy situation and it's too early to tell, but I'm actually sharing a kind of a thought process with you as a stats guy. So let me hear more about what you got on, on the plan as a stats guy. So I think, I think now, so coming out of this, I think as a screener, as a tenant, as a tenant screen variable, did you pay in April, May, June, mm-hmm. July, well, however this long goes. So they kind of have as, as another check. And, and if they didn't, it's not that they're bad tenants. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of, let's talk about why sure. that's the case, right? So yeah. as a screen, I don't think, so as we dip, I think as we go longer, you know, rental rent defaults will, you know, increase obviously, but I, I don't, and I don't think as much as we all hope, I don't think it's going to shoot up in a V fashion. I think it's just as we gradually dip, I think it's going to kind of gradually come out. So I think that's where kind of going back to the cash flow, that's where your cash flow is really going to, you know, where it's really important. So you can kind of sustain that, that dip part of things. In terms of rent, rent levels, in terms of uh, I think the growth over the next 12 months, the, the growth that we see in some of the markets, uh, so Hamilton, Barry, uh, St. Catharines, et cetera, Extra Waterloo, the double digit rental growth. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I think that's probably, you know, flat to a little bit, but, but demand will still be. What I think excites me about that market is that there's already a shortage of housing. That's not going to go away. You know, unfortunately people are going to have a tougher time buying their own kind of homes. So that's going to, you know, grow demand, which, which in turn will, you know, may likely increase rent rates again. Um, so I think that, that, you know, that asset class very safe in comparison to, I think, you know, retail office building, um, industrial, I think is doing well right now too, but compared to other commercial asset classes, it's, um, I think it's going to fare well. It's going to fare well, but it's very well. Yeah. It's, and it's early to tell, you know, when I, when I talk about research and looking, you know, when I'm in and people that I'm talking to and guys are pretty accomplished, right? You know, some done some stuff, they're really in the world and in the game. And it's too early to tell as we sit here today, having this conversation. And I don't know when this particular podcast is going to come out. So it might be, you know, uh, it'll be interesting. It's kind of like a mark in history. Here's a view. What is it in a month from now or whatever the, the, the case may be? Uh, because I've been doing some really great podcasts, by the way. And so thanks again for joining me. But here's a little bit of uh, some things to think about. You know, you talk about a slow curve coming up, not being a V. But I just spoke to somebody the other day, very, very accomplished, uh, very accomplished over the top. And he looks at it, he goes, no, he goes, it's going to be a V. And he says, there's a good chance, however, it's going to be a W. And here's why. And And I'm along that line of train of thought as well. And here's why. Because the Fed's on both sides of the border are just throwing money at it. Like, I mean, it's, they're writing checks. Uh, I don't know if the number's still accurate. There was one point that Canada was 5 billion a week that the feds were going to be, you know, pumping into central banking. And so it's like an open checkbook right now. They want to really, so it'll, it'll, when things start to go back, there'll be a lot of money flowing in government money, which will actually be the cause of that upward spike. You know, bam, we're going to go, we're going to take off. GDP will be really high, except for 70% of it or whatever the number will be, will be generated by the government. So that's both good and bad news. The, you know, when the rose falls off that branch, it will come down hard and it'll actually come back into reality because the government's going to run out of capital. 
uh, for all the reasons they're, you know, and the banks are already struggling with liquidity. That's not a secret. They state that very clearly. We see that, uh, you know, bond yields are in negative territory. So there's there's not a really great economic picture. You know, there's going to definitely be some economic kind of upheaval. Hyperinflation is definitely on the table. That one is definitely on the table. And, and, and also we see, you know, especially when it comes to things like food because, and other things, because it's just a broken supply chain. Let's face it. It's a mixed up world. So that's a really high level overview. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. That's one of the, those are some of the things that I'm watching for amongst many. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, we'll see. And I think the, 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 the pretext is that no, no one really knows it's, it's, no one's been in this, but it's like, how do you, you know, plan for, plan for the worst, really plan for the worst. And, um, I think set up, you know, set up the systems now to, you know, to navigate the rough waters that we're in and going to be in, I think for the next little while. Oh, for sure. I don't, there's no short-term yeah. solution to this. It's going to, uh, you know, this is, I've, I've said it many, many times, uh, which is if, if it all ended tomorrow, the devastation and the impact, the, followed of this particular shutdown is going to be felt for many, many years. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, as real estate investors and and because of the game we play and the space we play, you know, with RAIN members and the community and who we are as research. And I mean, the research that we're doing now is so much deeper. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're really, because it, it is changing so frequently. I see that real estate investors, members and not, I mean, we're actually getting questions from people outside of our general community because we're known for that research, but they're looking for definitives and there is just no definitives. I think at the end of the day, we all have to do our best to make a choice. There's going to be some decisions to make and there's going to be, you know, at some point there's going to be a fork in the road and people are going to have to say, that's what I believe. That's what I think is going to happen. And that's the path I'm going to go down. And those are decisions. And, you know, that'll either, that'll either work out for you or it may come back to bite you in the ass. It's going to be tough to hedge in too many directions. I think that's kind of how I see it, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. No, same, same here. And it's, uh, and just, I mean, you're, you're speaking to a bunch of different people that are influencers in different areas. Same, same with me. So it's all, you know, now selective in terms of who I speak to yeah. and, you know, have they, and no one's experienced this, but do they have enough experience that they can, you know, comment, you know, on this, um, you know, with, you know, an educated comment, educated guess, because everyone's, everyone's kind of guessing. I think, I think that's, that's the thing too, is where you're getting your information from, right? Like, I think, you know, as, I think as strategic investors, I think what the RAIN community has done is train people to be strategic investors, to, to question, you know, what the, what the, uh, what the motivation behind the information source is. Uh, and so it's especially now, I think more so than ever, we have to be so critical about the information that's out there. Yeah. And who's, and who's kind of, who's, you know, who's, who's sharing it, who's disseminating it. Yeah. And it is, it just takes a lot of time and a lot of research. And, you know, there is a, there is some critical thinking or a lot of critical thinking that is definitely involved that, that has to be done. And, uh, when I reflect on who I listen to, who I follow, you really have to consider guys that have been through it. And there's a, a lot of experience out there that really have some strong arguments based on experience and, and, and actual decisions they've made and actions that they're taking. Anyways, I share that. Let me ask you uh, a little bit more about in the business that you've built, 
around, especially on the multi side. I think fix and flips are, are relatively straightforward. I mean, not that they're easy, they're straightforward in the thought process. Has that primarily been single family residential stuff, Mark? Are you then flipping into a rental market? Are you flipping to an end user? Are you flipping back to yourself? How are you? How is that system for you? Uh, the flip is to an end uh, retail buyer. Yeah. Um, so I have a pretty clear sense of who we're selling to. Um, it's typically been like family of four, uh, like, you know, they like to entertain. So really kind of have a, a profile, almost a, um, an avatar who we kind of build for or yeah. redevelop for. Uh, so that's typically what it's been, you know, some, sometimes it's, sometimes it's, you know, at the lower end of the, or kind of medium, uh, range of housing prices. And sometimes it's at the upper kind of close to the, you know, the 1.7 or 2 million mark. It's all the same family of four typically, uh, or executives like to entertain. And so it keeps us kind of consistent colors, you know, model what we're doing with our kitchens, et cetera. So it's pretty, pretty systematic. So, and that's systematic. I mean, that's a lot of efficiencies bought in that are built into that. That's some, probably some buying savings because you're, you're consistently, you maybe buy a little bit more volume get some discounts on that, I'm assuming. So a lot of that's efficiencies as well, right? Yeah, it's it's working with the same trade teams, right? The same kitchen company, the same window company, you know, the floor installer, you know, so it's, um, and, and there's still some other ones that we're still working out and trying to find kind of the the ideal, but a lot of the, a, a lot of them over the last five years, we've just continued to work with and, and they know what, what you know i expect from the house how we're building um and so that's that's been really helpful and i think over time you know as you know if you work with someone you know a lot or kind of over a long period of time they help you out right they help you out there may be favors that you need and so a lot of those synergies also come in the form of you know we get put at the front of the line perhaps mm -hmm. right when there's you know when it's busy season so a lot of those things have you know are starting to come to fruition so when you uh, are you are you general on your projects or do you have a GC that you that's kind of on your team that kind of runs the show in that regard? Yeah, so I have a GC that runs it, mm -hmm. um, and so we started. In fact, we we partner on a lot of the projects. Mm -hmm. So part of the GC fee is kind of you know taking equity stake in it, mm -hmm. and 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 why I've I've done that and structured it that way is it's it's a little more hands off for me mm -hmm. um, on the day to day side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't want to, uh, I'm probably not good at it either, you know, kind of being hands-on, um, dealing with trades. And so the GC deals with all that, um, you know, bigger decisions and stuff like that, you know, involved, but uh, I prefer to, uh, I spend my time on the capital raising side, on, on the marketing side, um, kind of working kind of overall on the business, where, you know, where we're getting our next, you know, leads from where, how we source your properties, how we, how are we financing it? So that's, that's, the part of the business I spend most of my time on. Well, I think you've you've also you know learned the lesson of doing what you're good at, setting yourself up to accommodate a lifestyle that you're trying to build for yourself. So, yeah, being a GC is in your skill set is probably not your interest. Although you might be interested in it, it's not something that you know you get fired up about. Uh, yeah, and you're absolutely. happy to work with somebody who gets fired up about that. And that's really, I think there's such a great lesson in that for anybody who's, it's the difference between being a business owner and being a entrepreneur. Now, 
If you want to be an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, you really own a job, and and many many people do that. Nothing wrong with that, and don't ever you know I don't want <clears> I want to make it clear because I've been both you know I've been entrepreneur. I, I'm still an entrepreneur at heart, um, but I'm also I own my businesses to the degree that is beyond just about me doing and in the doingness of it, you know, and I, and I'm far from ideal or great at it, but I've done okay over the years. But to your <clears> point, uh, there is a place where we have to let go of, I'm good at a lot of things, but you know, there's just some things that there's guys way better than me and it's not my highest interest. Yeah. So, yeah. so tell me a little bit about your, your, uh, multifamily stuff, Mark. So when you're, when you're doing this, you're raising capital, these are joint ventures. Are you doing limited partnerships? How are you, how's your setup in what you're doing when you're raising capital? Sure. Uh, so they're, they're not limited partnerships. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, joint, joint ventures, yep. um, where the partners can have a, uh, the capital partners have a, a share in the, in the, numbered company that owns the, the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did go down the path at looking at limited partnerships just to kind of see what it would allow me to do and would allow me to do, et cetera. I, I think at this point, not really needed um, given the, given the number of joint venture partners that I'm, that I'm speaking to and bringing into the projects, uh, perhaps at a later time. Um, so I've had, you know, I've had the conversations, um, with legal as well as accounting and kind of what that can look like. So it's almost like when it's time, let's start up the conversation. Uh, so they're, you know, joint venture partners, just regular joint venture partners. Um, if there is a regular joint venture partner yeah. uh, agreement, um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I don't know if there's such a thing, but yeah, I get what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. When you look at your business model and what you're doing, and because there's so many, I see it in the community all the time, individuals who'd like to achieve this, you know, is there two, three, five, I don't know, however many lessons that you've learned along the way that you would share with somebody going, if you're going to do this, here's some things, here's, you know, here's a couple of big takeaways that, uh, you know, I'm really glad I learned early or uh, were really expensive lessons that I'll share with you so you don't go through the same pain. Any of that thing that you, any of those things that you would share, Mark? Mm-hmm. I think it goes without saying, you know, obviously if you're going to get it, I guess there's two things actually, it's just two, the way, the way I, I kind of view this space. And when I talk to people, um, I ask them, you know, are you looking to be, cause you can, you know, get into apartment buildings without being an active partner, sure. right? You don't have to operate it. You can be passive. So step one, um, is or question one for yourself, perhaps, or anyone considering, do you want to be a passive investor? Meaning you want to put your capital into a project that's, you know, functioning as an apartment building uh, because you understand the, you know, uh, the risk profile of the asset class, but you don't really want to operate it. Well, there's lots of, you know, opportunities to partner with someone to do that. Um, Now, I would say as a passive, you still want to understand, I think, I mean, at least my perspective, you still want to understand the mechanics of it, how it, how it operates. You want to do your own due diligence, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, you know, you know, giving someone capital blindly, you want to understand how it works. If your answer is, you know, to that question, I want to be an active uh, operator uh, or I want to operate, I want to be the general manager, I want to kind of, you know, find the deal, et cetera, then, then I think education, right? A little more education, perhaps, you know, there's courses out there, you know, there's books, there's podcasts, there's coaches. I think there's one path is you can do it on your own, build your own team. Um, or sometimes maybe maybe you get into a, an apartment building as a passive and just to be able to one have your capital working for you, but also to be able to observe behind the scenes, what's going on? Uh, work with some, yeah, what's happening? How do they operate it? Um, 
you know, in fact, it, it, it's happened a lot. In fact, it's happened with some JVs on my apartment buildings and it's happened uh, with JVs on uh, flips. I do some similar JV structures on my flips where I used to do more of it. Now it's a lot of private money that I use. But in the beginning, people would JV and transparently say, listen, I just want to partner with you. I'm going to, I know I'm going to generate some returns on this project, but I'm going to learn how to do it. I'm going to go off my own. A lot of times what ends up happening is they realize that, oh man, I can't, that's a lot of, that's a lot of work. Like it's, it's operating a second business. And, and so, you know, some people, so, so I would actually recommend partnering with somebody just to see how it works and then decide if it's right for you. Um, because if you, if you have another job, another career, not that it can't be done, but I think to properly manage an asset class like that over its, you know, uh, transition period, it, it's a lot of work. That's in the strategy that I'm operating, which is a value-added strategy, which is a little more, uh, I guess, hands-on, where, you know, leverage a lot of the, the flip systems that I've developed and the work that's kind of been done on the flip side is, you know, we're taking buildings that are um, undermanaged, let's say, uh, and need some work, some capex, some capital expenditure to kind of get it to a, a place that allows us to generate more revenues. You could buy a turnkey, which is a little less work. Um, perhaps manage a uh, a property management company, which which you have to manage as well. So you still need some knowledge. So, so <laughs> long answer to your question. Um, I think passive, you know, active. Which one do you want to be? Um, if it's active, then I think education or partner with someone first before before jumping in. So in the on your on your multifamily side of things, are you playing a pretty active role in terms of management uh, operating the building, or or are you really working closely with a, a an on-site or a property management that you're communicating with or connecting with? We have members who are like literally in it. I mean, they're the guys. They run their buildings. They have two, three buildings. They're collecting rent. They're they're you know, making sure snow gets shoveled. They're doing all sorts of things. They're really in it, and but they're, yeah. they're digging it, and it's they're making a lot of dough doing it because they're taking that cash that they would pay out, and they're actually putting it in their jeans or they're putting it to their bottom line somewhere uh, in that particular operation. But what is it for you? Yeah, uh, so it's actually two. It's a hybrid. So um, on uh, the project, uh, two buildings that I have right now that are, are very much value-add, I'm the property manager. Uh, and actively kind of talking to tenants as we turn over. Um, we have a, a renovation company that does the that does the units. We're picking up a 12 unit right now. Um, so we're in the middle of it, close end of May. That one will be managed by a property manager. It's it's a little more hands-off from our perspective. Uh, it's, a, it's a newer building. Um, it's only, it's, about, it's 20 years old versus kind of 50 and 60-year-old mm-hmm. buildings, which is kind of what we have in, in Hamilton. So it, it kind of a hybrid the ones that require more work, uh, I like to stay involved because we're kind of in the in the process of turning over at least as quickly as possible. Yeah. So, okay. So let's let's kind of take it a little bit of a departure from this particular conversation because I'm always interested in you know the world of the journey of real estate investors, business owners, and and kind of how you find yourself where you're at now. Were you always entrepreneurial in spirit? Where, you know, as a kid growing up, where did it come from? Were your parents entrepreneurial? Is it nature? Is it nurture? You know, did you bump your head? What what happened that you ended up kind of going on your own and being in the world of business? Yes, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So my, my parents were not entrepreneurial. 
Um, so my dad, you know, drove a bus for public transit. My mom worked with one of the big banks for many, many years as a commercial loan officer. So kind of, you know, not, not entrepreneur at all. Um, my, my grandfather from my mother's side, he was much more entrepreneurial. I never met him. He passed away when my mother was young. So I think there was an entrepreneurial gene there. It's interesting because my sisters have a, a sister, um, eight months younger. She's entrepreneurial. She has an entrepreneurial spirit as well. Uh, I'm not sure where we got it from. It may, maybe it kind of down the lines from my, from my mother's side, but it's interesting. A friend of mine brought this to light a couple of years ago, looking through kind of our high school yearbook. And, uh, and there's a you know, picture of me and we had to write a comment kind of about our future. And my comment was, you know, my, my goal is to own, you know, two separate businesses, you know, at some point. I mean, it's what's happened. It's what's happening right now. So I, I don't know where it came from. Um, it's, it's always been kind of part of me. I mean, I was in the corporate world when I first started for about four years, but then ventured off very quickly into this, you know, small company, which we grew uh, to you know, small to medium sized company. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure what the driving force of it is, but I, but I think part of it is now it's, you know, again, flexibility. I, I don't think it's, it's definitely not less work. I think it's probably more work, but you're kind of doing it on your, your own terms and you're carving to some degree your own path. Yeah. You're leaving it. Yeah. I get that. And so when you, uh, did you, did you do post-secondary or is all your post-secondary been in kind of real life experience and, and post-secondary education in terms of uh, courses and programs that you took specific or, or college university? What was that for you? Yeah, so I went to university uh, in BCom, and uh, I was going down the path of economics. So I was going down the path of economics degree, did year one of economics, uh, year two decided not to pursue economics. It was just, it was interesting. I didn't pursue it specifically because we're getting into kind of second year, second year calculus, and it was just like way over my head. And so I was like, oh, I don't like, I don't like math, right? It's just like did this kind of math. I didn't, wasn't really interested in it. And so I kind of shifted a little bit into kind of more of a commerce angle where I was then introduced to statistics. You know, that was kind of part of it. Mm-hmm. I really, I really love statistics, which is you know, different than, you know, the calculus. I really love statistics. And then I think early on, I realized what, and a lot of the statistics was kind of doing work on, you know, survey work and projections, et cetera, you know, understanding kind of, you know, psychology and using stats to make predictions um, in terms of consumer behavior and human behavior. And I really enjoy that. And I kind of found at that point, like a lot of people didn't like it, but I liked it. And so ended up uh, continuing to pursue the statistics route. And uh, my, my first kind of job outside of school was, you know, as a, as a stats analyst, for marketing research services within a company, a lot of strategy kind of work with, with senior executives, um, you know, at a, at a fairly young age. And then that's kind of, you know, rolled into the marketing research company, which is, which is all stats. So that's kind of how I got to, and today, you know, I love, you know, that's kind of where the, the love for stats comes. It's from kind of the, I guess the early, the early days of statistics classes. So when you look at the vision for your business going forward, is there, are you pretty clear on a vision? Uh, what kind of, do you have some big, hairy, audacious goals in the world of real estate? How are you built around goal setting and, and really driving your business? Yeah, I, I, I like, I like the, I really enjoy the process of goal setting. So it's something that uh, I've done 
much more actively over the last, I'd say four, four years. And so I have a binder, which I kind of, it sits on my desk and I review it. I try to review it every morning and I have kind of a, you know, per day, uh, habit schedule. What do, what do I have to do to achieve my weekly goals, which achieve my monthly, which achieve my annual. So I try to keep on track with that. I review it, you know, every year for this year, I'd like to get two more apartment buildings. So or in the value of five to $6 million at the end of this year, that was the goal in January. We might have to adjust it based on what's going on, but I'd like to kind of get into another, um, you know, five to $6 million in apartment buildings um, through uh, joint venture capital and raised capital. Uh, and on the flip side, you know, if I finish these three, uh, that's kind of, you know, that, that achieves my, my active income goal. I don't have to really do any more coming out of these, um, but uh, and really kind of just focus, focus the time on, on the apartment building side, spending a lot more time from a marketing standpoint, developing, you know, content, um, you know, recently hired a marketing person to help out with that as we build out the systems and just be a little more active from a content, uh, content generation standpoint, all, all around, uh, apartment buildings. You know, Mark, I have a foundational belief. It's actually, you know, really hardwired because I see it a lot. And, and I'm curious for you, uh, you, your wife, now you've got three boys. Does she, does she work in home or does she work outside the home? I mean, right now she's, she's looking after no. four kids, including you. I'm kidding. But what, what is, oh, yes. what? She'll, she'll say the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the question always goes back to, you know, aside from, you know, it, it, maybe she is involved in the day to day. I'm assuming she's not, but I'd like to, how impactful is it for you as a business owner, as a real estate investor, where is, you know, your significant other in this conversation and in, in terms of support, mm -hmm. how important is yeah. that relationship? Uh, critical. I think I've been, uh, yeah, critical goes without saying that without, without the support, I would, I wouldn't be where I am. Um, even so in my previous company, the consulting company that, you know, that the hours of traveling, et cetera, uh, major, very supportive, extremely supportive. Um, after once our second son was born, um, so he's, he's nine now, um, she stayed home. So she worked with, uh, she works with special needs in a school board, um, when he was born, now we're, you know, two young kids at home. So, you know, fortunate enough that she was able to stay home and kind of really, you know, work, you know, work with them and kind of take care of them. Um, and so has, you know, has been home ever since. More recently, so extremely supportive in that regard and, you know, allowing me and enabling me really to spend the time I needed to spend building my previous business and in the same building this business. She's taken more of an active role actually on the real estate side and helping me with, um, you know, liaison with accountants, um, helping with uh, some of the administrative stuff, some of the content and helping me streamline that a little bit more. So yeah. she's um, not full-time on the real estate side, but definitely helping out, um, which has been a huge help um, along with our, the marketing person as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the reason I bring it up is because, the one thing over this many years of working with a community of real estate investors and business owners, and I see time and time again where the drag that gets created or the misalignment between significant others, and I don't know if you've come across that yourself, but it's it is yes. really freeing when you have even if you're you know even if they're not in the day to day stuff, and then, and I don't want to say husband or wife because it's both. I mean, I see yeah. so many really great and phenomenally successful uh, female investors, and their husbands are actually going, "You go do that. I'm I'm not doing. I'm not playing that mm -hmm. game." So 
it, but that also shifts the relationship to what's going on in terms of conversation and having the space and the alignment to, to make those decisions quickly. Um, and so I just shine a light on it when, you know, with, cause the more I see, you know, really successful real estate investors, uh, the more often I'm also observing and recognizing that they have good relationships in the, in the yeah. game. Yeah. It's, uh, so I, I see it right now. So I see it, I see the situations where it's enabling and situations where it's disabling and it's very clear. Um, I, I saw it in my previous business as well. You know, um, as we were, you know, a small company kind of from three, as we started to bring people on and start to bring senior people on, you know, the, the amount of time needed, you know, you needed to spend in the business as a senior person, you start, you know, those that lasted had very good support and strong support from the home. Those that did not, did not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I kind of learned that, you know, in, in growing that business and I see it today. Um, I, I really see today. In fact, in fact, for me, when I partner with somebody, that for me is a, is a filter now. Um, it has to be, you know, it's, it, it, if there isn't alignment, then it might, you might, the issues might not show up now, but they will. Um, Cause I've, like, I've seen it. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. Obviously you've seen it as well too. Um, that absolutely. And I, I talk about it with my wife all the time um, in terms of as a, as a, as an entrepreneur, you have, you has you have to have that support from home, whether it's, you know, husband and wife or spouse partner, it doesn't matter uh, because it requires so much time, right? It requires so much time, especially in the beginning uh, to operationalize anything um, that if you don't have it, it, it really is a drag. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about lifestyle routine. You're an entrepreneur, you're a real estate investor, you're, you've enjoyed some success along the way and you continue to, learn and to grow. Um, what does your routine look like? Are you, how are you with, you got three, you got three boys all at that age of demanding time. Um, I'm sure that, uh, you know, the early starts and, and occasional late nights and all the rest of it. How do you look after yourself, you know, in, in the world, uh, you know, of self-care and whether it be mental, emotional, physical, do you have a routine around that kind of stuff, Mark? What is it for you? So I've, I've tried on and off with an early morning routine, like a five, a 5 a.m. routine. So, so I read a book uh, and followed kind of the concept. So um, the Miracle Morning uh, concept. So I've, I've tried with that. I'm not, it's very hard for me to wake up very early, mm-hmm. but I like to try to set, uh, even if it's 20 minutes reviewing, um, I read a little bit, but I read a little bit in the morning. Um, I do quickly flip through my goal book in terms of, okay, here, here's what I'm trying to achieve for the year. Does do, do my actions today, does it align with all of that? So I, I try to do that. If it's not an hour, then at least, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, just as an alignment kind of schedule from a physical and health standpoint. So all, all three of my boys are in rep or they were in rep hockey. And so I was, I helped out as a coach uh, with one of my kids. So that, which was great. Uh, one kind of gave me the opportunity to bond with with my son it does take me away from my other two um but also kind of gave me that opportunity to be on the ice a lot um you know four or five times a week which is you know (laughs) selfishly was awesome yeah 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 (laughs) next year you know again before pre-covid i decided not to kind of you know be on the bench anymore and just kind of be more of a parent and kind of spread myself um 
you know, spread my time a little more evenly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as a family, we're, we're outdoors people, you know, again, uh, summer times we, we camp a lot. Um, we take a lot of hikes, a lot of bike rides, spend a lot of time outside. Uh, so fa- fairly active, I'd say, kind of just as a, as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and before COVID, started doing yoga. So that was, that was, that, you know, I'd done it before, but not systematically. I was kind of, I was starting to get into a routine. Um, now I'm not in that routine anymore. So, you know, once, you know, once we kind of get past this, I'd like to kind of continue with that again, because I found that to be, you know, time for yourself and just mentally kind of clearing was, was, was really, really powerful. Yeah. Yoga checks a lot of boxes, doesn't it? You know, I did uh, a lot of yoga over the years, was a big fan of Bikram for a number of years. And, and, mm. um, and, and so I've done a lot, just a lot of yoga stuff and, and mm. I find it checked a lot of boxes, both because physically, mentally, you know, arguably spiritually, emotionally, it does all of those things. So yeah, yoga is a kind of a cool one. So, uh, I too have kind of got off the yoga, kind of mm-hmm. train but i it is one of those things i go back to occasionally even if i'm doing it on my own so as we wind these things down uh, this particular call down uh, uh you know mark is uh like to have a little bit of fun with some what we would call rapid fire that are never really all that rapid but we like to talk about it as a rapid sure. fire anyways you ready yeah okay ready to go. what are you book are you currently reading first part of the question second part is a related question what's one of your favorite books to gift so my wife went to a a seminar in um, in San Diego in the summertime. Uh, actually, the Miracle Morning seminar was really cool. She brought back a book, The One Thing, um, by Gary Keller. And so I'm probably ninety percent of the way through that book right now. Really like it. Really enjoy it. Easy reads, but the concepts. I love the concept of the one thing, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to implement that now. So good book. And what's your sum? Yeah. Awesome. What's your someday goal? What do you have to do this year uh, or five years, one year, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, time blocking. So I, I really like that concept of a personal improvement mm-hmm. um, uh, book. Uh, I'm also reading just for fun. Uh, it's, it just kind of get my mind off things like Kite Runner, just kind of a, you know, a, uh, a, a nonfiction book, just uh, keep in mind. Off things. But the one thing is the one thing is really, really yeah. powerful. I was written a number of years ago and it's one of those books that I like to go back to every so often. And, uh, we have lots of people that have, uh, shared that particular book. I think it's, it's a great, great book. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? The one thing that I, I, I I'm sure someone said it somewhere at some point, um, cause I, I hear it a lot and I'm not sure I, I can't tie it to a particular person, but, uh, and I remind myself of this. Um, and just today, just kind of dealing with, you know, you know, some business issues is it's, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's, um, and I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a, you know, operator of a business, you, there's a lot of, you know, hurdles, a lot of uh, speed bumps and you have to, you have to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's something I kind of remind myself and I tell people that all the time, like, if, you know, um, one of my pet peeves is you know, people saying that, uh, no, it can't be done or we can't, you know, that can't happen or, you know, it's what's the easy path. I just kind of remind myself, it's just, you know, if if it was easy, then everyone would do. And I think, you know, how you can capitalize on uh, things that are difficult is because you you create your own niche. So that, that's one that, that, uh, that's kind of been in my mind for for a long time. Yeah. Love that. What is one thing that you continue to do, even though you're not very good at it? 
I got a list of that shit, but <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> what is it for you? <laughs> Uh, that's a good one. What do I continue to do that I'm not good at? Hmm. We can come back to that one. You can think about it. Yeah, let me think about that one. Because there's maybe, one there. Maybe, I'll guarantee maybe, it. Maybe, it is. Oh, maybe I'm stalling because there's so many. It's like a flood coming <laughs> to my forever. mind. You know, mine, I, my my one that is just is is just ridiculous. It's like an addiction. Is is trying to manage my own calendar. You know, and it's I I will screw it up. I don't know, 99 times out of 100. You know. Wrong yeah. time zone, wrong week, you know, and Cheryl, who's just, you know, the, the one of the most important people in my life, just keep gently going, PF, I don't know why just, you keep doing go. that, but here, let me put in that correction for you. Why didn't you just ask me to get that handled? Anyways, yeah. I, I joke yeah. about it, but I, I, I really do got to grow the hell up and yeah. keep doing that shit. I, I think actually just to, actually to that point um, is... And I don't know, maybe, maybe I struggle with this is, is delegation, right? Like knowing when to, okay, that thing I shouldn't have to do. It's, it's not like the feeling of, I have to explain it to someone. Oh, I could just do it right now. Mm-hmm. Right. I could just kind of just get it done. Mm-hmm. While, while we've been kind of in this new uh, reality, I guess, with more, a little bit more time at home, I'm trying to using Excel to process, processize things, document things so that I can kind of hand hand it off but but i still i still struggle like just for sure there's things i'm doing right now that i shouldn't be doing right um you know even even the the editing of content that i put out there or the the creation of you know, you know specific slides i know that there's people around me that can do a way better job mm-hmm. um so i think the i think figuring out which tasks can be delegated you know i think that that would free up a lot of time but i still i still yeah. do it I was a slow learner. I mean, at this point in my life, I delegate a lot of things. I've got three businesses. Well, <laughs> maybe only two now. Yeah, one of them may never come back to life. We'll see how retail world goes. But anyways, the point is, is that it took, I was a slow learner, sadly, but, you know, really learning how to offload and getting out of that mindset that it's just easier to do myself rather than train somebody. And that's a story we tell ourselves, but that just really, really, you have to put in the time, you know, there's a, there's a, one of my many favorite quotes is take the time now. So it takes less time, Mm. you know, and Uh, and so so that's ultimately it. Room desk or your car. What do you clean first? Room desk or car desk desk. You like a clean desk. Yeah. I have to have a clean, although it's, you know, it's, there's stuff piling up on it now, but it's, uh, you know, without a clear desk for the mind, it's just, uh, I can't, it's gotta be. So I need yeah. kind of clear space to have a clear kind totally, of clear thinking process. Totally. I'm, I'm, I'm very similar. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming with three boys that it's hard to keep a car clean, especially inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. That's awesome. Favorite swear word. Lately it's been fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, 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 I own that one. I, I actually, yeah, I can't talk if I can't, put that yeah. in place at times even uh yeah probably a little uh, way more lax at it you know <laughs> my wife yes yesterday said i stopped using the f-bomb right yeah. it's just becoming a natural you know n- not in an aggressive way but just kind of just as a matter of fact now right <laughs> yes. so probably it's probably a sign that i have to do kind of do a little check and balance <laughs> i go you know i do use it but I, i'll tell you <laughs> i was at a we were at a dinner party and and i actually really manage it well uh, I'm very aware of my environment, you know, and so mm-hmm. it's not like I, I, yeah, I'm not respectful yeah. of those around me, but I'm at a, a dinner party. Uh, there's like 
10 people at the table. And I forgot the, you know, the kind of the, the group I was with. And I dropped an F-bomb just in conversation, not aggressively. It was just like, and then we did this fucking thing. And it was like whatever expressive I used, right? And it it like, it sucked the energy out of the room. <laughs> uh, oh, right. That's not the right word to use in this, in this party. Anyways, uh, that was one of those embarrassing moments. I often have those. Favorite tune right now? Favorite tune? Uh, two, actually. So uh, Stand By Me yep. uh, and uh, Under the Bridge by Chili Peppers. So during this time, I took guitar lessons maybe 10 years ago and, and the guitar has been collecting dust ever since. Um, my younger son started guitar lessons about six months ago. So I, I've picked up the guitar um, maybe about four weeks ago. I'm not good, can't play, can't play any music, but I'm starting to kind of fool around again with it. And so my, 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 the tips of my fingers are... Uh, starting to get numb and really hurting and so stand by me and under the bridge by chili peppers is what i'm trying to so i'm trying to what? strum out right now cool yeah uh movie favorite movie favorite movie of all time et e. um kind of yeah wow. e. favorite movie of all <laughs> that time. goes back yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh my e. gosh of all time but uh yeah yeah okay yeah. listen we've been locked down do you have a favorite netflix series yeah, so just finished two, binged like crazy, uh, Narcos Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, and Ozark. I've and, watched both uh, of those. Those are good. I, I, I've watched those over a period of time. We, we've not been binging. I'm not a binger that way. Um, but yeah, those are two really great series. I love those <clears> series. So not for everybody. Uh, yeah. yeah. I started watching, uh, started watching uh, what's called Tiger King. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. I just feel, I don't know. It's, uh, it just really highlights kind of <laughs> a certain segment in America. That's just like, why wow, it's kind of scratched your head. It's like, holy smokes, this actually exists. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I have not drank that Kool-Aid and I don't anticipate it. Yeah. Mark, what are you grateful for today? Uh, in my family, I think the support that my wife gives, like in terms of, uh, uh so as part of my kind of daily view of goals, I have a gratitude kind of, journaling line and so i think that going back to the support that's that's massive like i, I i've seen when you know people don't get the support and what happens and i think that to me like every day that's 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 one thing that uh, i can be super grateful for just the support that i get at home yeah today i'm grateful uh for my 92 year old mother still being around still being of uh, sound mind uh, relatively sound body, as she would say, but uh, mm-hmm. I talked to her today and uh, I mean, gosh, I just am so grateful and blessed to, uh, I love my mom and she's a cool, cool lady and and she's still yeah, cool at awesome. 92 years old. So yeah, um, that's great. You know, today I'm grateful for that and uh, I was grateful for my family, my daughter, my grandchildren, uh, my son-in-law. So, and grateful for you joining me on the show today, Mark. So it's been uh, wonderful. Lots of uh, learning lots of insights thanks for sharing your journey and and what you got going on i think there's uh lots there for listeners to tap into in the world of seemingly ordinary achieving extraordinary um you you're a standout so thanks for your time mark no thank you appreciate this was this was fun i love i love the yeah i love the conversation great thank you ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, 
If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.